Hi guys, welcome back to my show, My Steps to Sobriety on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is a fantastic day and I have lost count of the many beautiful, beautiful people I've had on my show. And it is, we must be heading for 300 guests now. But I am as excited today with our guest as I was the very first time I had a guest on my show uh, because I meet so many wonderful people and all of them have gone through darkness and they have, they have seen the light against all odds and then they've moved towards that light and many of them have now become the light in the darkness of others. They are now changing lives. And to be in this group of people who are kicking ass and making this world a bit better gives me bloody goosebumps. So today is a great day because I've got Johnny Crowder with me. Johnny is a man who actually uh, has got a bit of a superpower. He has finally figured out that thing about positive thinking. You know, there was a while ago, the power of positive thinking. You just think positive and it's going to be all good. Yeah, about that. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm quite negative about that. Uh, having said that, um, when we actually think of it as draining the brain and learning techniques, of actually adapting what is happening up there and changing, then it becomes magic. And that is what Johnny has figured out. So Johnny, welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me. An absolute pleasure. Um, and it is it is so, so beautiful. We both are out there and are exploring ways to make this world a better place, but only people really who have been in the darkness develop this kind of conviction to go out there and and take action are you happy to talk a bit about your past and about why you are now pursuing the path you do yeah i always think about it like um you know i had friends growing up and they would have dogs and i didn't have a dog growing up and whenever they talked about their dog passing away or something. I was like, Oh, get over it. It's an animal, right? Like, you know, you just like move on. And then I had a dog and my dog passed away. And then in that moment, I understood, like, I never really understood what it's like until I lived through it. And then I had such a deeper level of empathy. And I think that's how it is for mental health. Like a lot of people think, Oh yeah, mental health is really important. But like, like you said, just think positively, like just push through it. It's all in your head. And then when you have a personal experience with depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder, OCD, PTSD, you name it. Once you experience that, you go, oh, if it was that simple, people would just do it. But it's not that simple. It's complex and it hurts. So yeah, I, I grew up with, um, I grew up with a lot of different mental illnesses and um, for a long time, I was undiagnosed, maybe 15 years or so, um, which is actually not that uncommon, especially in America. Lots of people live for over a decade with, with symptoms of mental illness without being diagnosed formally. And so I started treatment in high school. I went to college for psychology and started studying neuroscience and abnormal psych. And I started volunteering in the mental health world and then I started speaking and doing public advocacy and working in peer support. And then I started a company that provides mental health support for people. So my whole life has been about mental health, but only recently has it been by choice. <laughs> for the uh, previous quarter century, it was not by choice. It just had to be that way. It was decided for me by my brain. <laughs> and you could call it a beautiful detour. Come on. <laughs> without, yeah. without that, you wouldn't be the man that you are now. You, No one goes out there and says, wow, I really want to work out how the supercomputer up there functions and, and which how to best uh, press the keyboard to, to get the most out of it. Nah, we just go there. We're like monkeys. Ooh, shiny. Oh, that feels good. What's that? 
alcohol. Oh, I love it. I love it more, more. And that's about the, the Cromagnon level on which most people actually um, function for crying out loud. And well, dude, I mean, think about your car, right? Like as long as it works, you're not worried about it. And then exactly. the moment it starts ticking, you Google, why is my car ticking? <laughs> So some people, their their brains have worked so well for so long that they're not worried about learning what's going on with it as long as it's getting them from A to B. And then once they start experiencing some wobbles, then they start doing research. <clears throat> Sorry. The reality is you are saying the brain working well and them working well. I would dare to say that most people who think that, if you look at them and you just think, oh, my God. Um, okay. So sometimes, not sometimes, I think the majority of times people just simply don't know what they don't know and think mm -hmm. everything is all right. When in reality, they're real assholes in their relationship. They're on their fourth marriage. Um, and they have never explored their core beliefs. They have never figured out why they, uh, are, not able to commit to relationships or why they are not able to to actually maintain wealth or health where they're continually sabotaging themselves etc so it is an amazing journey and it's a beautiful most of my guests have gone through that journey and are either a little bit further ahead of myself or just a little bit behind myself, but we are all striving there. So you had a head start, if you look at it positively, you had a head start compared with the vast majority of the population. <laughs> what was yeah, I was talking to my buddy yesterday, uh, who's, a, who's another business owner, and we were talking about owning a business. And he was like, you know, I just turned 44, but um, I told my wife yesterday, I feel 118 years old. <laughs> and there's like some real wisdom that comes from like, being stretched that way. And I, uh, I do try to view my life as like, well, yes, you know, I'm 29 years old and I've been through what feels like, you know, a couple lifetimes worth of illness and trauma. And I think like, okay, if that is true, how can I leverage that to have the wisdom of maybe a 50 year old in my twenties and thirties? And what will that help me bypass? What what hardships and troubles will that help me skirt around and steer away from? Because I know these things at a younger age. <laughs> I was as yesterday saying to some some friends, and we are all talking about our teenage sons. I was saying, uh, you know, the youth is wasted at the young. And had roaring laughter around the table. <laughs> and it's a bit like that, isn't it? Mm -hmm. as, a, as a young man, you think you, you know it all um, and you're bulletproof and full of testosterone and et cetera, and you don't listen. And it's such a shame. Um, <laughs> you have, however, been forced to listen. So yeah. having said that, you've described the symptoms of, of mental health problems. May I ask sort of what with hindsight, what was sort of the the dominant theme, so to speak, in your youth? Yeah, I kind of had like the variety pack of mental illnesses, right? <laughs> like I had, I had pretty severe depression, uh, where I thought, you know, my life was worthless. And if I wasn't around, people wouldn't notice, I thought it was a burden on other people. But then at the same time, I, I was also hallucinating. I was seeing and hearing things that were not there, um, dealing with pretty severe paranoia, um, OCD that prevented me from touching my food or touching other people, um, PTSD from childhood abuse, um, some pretty severe mood swings associated with bipolar one, manic episodes that would last sometimes days and weeks. So if you kind of, I definitely got the sampler platter where I was experiencing different <laughs> symptoms from different illnesses on different days, which actually made it pretty difficult to manage because it was almost like, I mean, even in treatment, I would work on getting my OCD symptoms down a little bit. And then my bipolar would pop up in its place. It was like whack-a-mole. Like every time mm. I'd make progress in one area, my symptoms associated with another illness would be exacerbated by that progress. Bloody hell. Okay, that is pretty good going. If you look back now with the experience that you have gained the hard way, were, were there any contributing factors 
was there anything that you could put your 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 fingers on let's say nutrition um were you a child that was living on sugar and maybe some of the symptoms the highs and lows and the lefts and rights were were due to bad nutrition or was it really an intrinsic malfunction or or you know a little bit of a wobble of your mental of your 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 brain i definitely think there was a chemical component to it like you know if you look at my family, like there are people in my family who have mental illness, um, like my parents and their families. So I definitely think there's a biological component to it. But at the same time, I also experienced a heck of a lot of um, unfair treatment as a child, both in the home and outside, like I was bullied at school. And Mm -hmm. I was learning a lot of maladaptive behaviors, like how, you know, in what way is it appropriate to express um, anger, for example, and I learned well, you scream and you punch and you break things and you throw things yeah. and you slam mm-hmm. doors. And, and, and so I was learning all of the wrong ways to cope. So not only did I have those biological factors not going for me, and then not only was I experiencing unfair treatment, but then the way I responded to those things was Beautiful. probably mm-hmm. um, contributing to those patterns continuing in my life because I didn't know healthy ways to cope. Exactly. Well, you describe exactly my life um, prior to to going into rehab. And in my case, I was fueling it further. I was pouring petrol on the fire uh, with the help of alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. So there I was angry and there was PTSD and there were, there were uh, core beliefs that were... Uh, and and at, yeah, at the same token, I was just trying to stop the pain with the alcohol and trying to to uh, just escape reality were there attempts from you to escape reality how did you i mean there must have been an insight in your pain and in your chaos i mean there's anger for example how did you deal with that uh did you find ways to at least temporarily put it aside yeah well all things artistic felt like they really resonated with me like um writing music or listening to music, playing music, um, writing poetry or reading books, Mm. like any painting. Um, I did graffiti for a while. Like um, (laughs) I used pastels for a while. Mm. So all of these different artistic pursuits Mm. made me feel like I was processing what I was feeling in a way that was productive And then um, around high school, I really started turning to exercise, like weightlifting Mm. as an outlet. So I think I kind of oscillated between physical exercise and creative pursuits. And doing those things made a huge difference in my daily coping strategies because I went Mm. from like literally only thinking like scream and shout and break Mm. things and slam doors and punch stuff to, okay, now I actually have options. Beautiful, beautiful. But these are very productive things. This is only stuff that that I figured out later in life. Unfortunately for me, the alcohol had uh, a more immediate, uh, quick action. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, sort it out now. There was I always make a joke of not joke that the, the fact actually that alcohol came with a sound effect with me. That sound effect was. Uh, Okay, mm. it felt so good. Suddenly, I was switching off. I could get rid of the pain in my soul. Um, so, th- was there no temptation there for you? So, growing up, um, pretty much everybody that I knew used drugs and/or alcohol. So, at a very young age, like literally before I turned ten, I decided I would never drink. Interesting. Um, just because of the way I saw it affect the behavior of the people I cared about. And it's as simple as saying like, okay, this person is mostly nonviolent. And then when they drink, they become violent or even take not violence as an example. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's verbal, right? Maybe it's Mm. this person is typically not aggressive. And then when they drink alcohol, they become aggressive or this Mm. person is typically not depressive. And then when they drink, they become depressive. So Mm. I was watching these patterns and I thought to myself, if my life is already as hard as it is, I sure as heck do not want to add something to it that would, that would only amplify what I feel when I'm not under the influence of that. 
Wow. What an insight. I'm that- very fortunate because not, I know a lot of people who grew up in a similar environment and including my siblings and I'm the only one who's sober. Exactly. So not everybody reacted that way. I feel fortunate that that was my reaction. I don't, you know, yeah. I don't take that for granted. Having said that, there is a beautiful thing there already to say that, um, yes, there is nature, but there's the nurture is so much more important. You for most definitely have got the genes of addiction. Um, somewhere mm-hmm. there are 50 plus genes that, that we nowadays know are linked to the increased chance of drinking and drinking badly negatively. Um, and mm-hmm. here you are um, proving the opposite uh, and that is a beautiful thing. So there you go. But then again, you were landed with the variety pack, which I love. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so hmm. um, when you, and you were saying that your diagnosis was often delayed. So was that because there was no access to psychiatric or psychological or counseling services? Or was that because no one actually gave a damn? I think it was a little bit of everything. Like, first of all, a lot of mental health care options are fairly expensive. Um, second of all, there was like an unwillingness to address it. Kind of like, you know, if you're a parent and you have a child who's exhibiting these symptoms, there's a tendency to think, well, is there, you know, they're a kid, like they'll mm-hmm. grow out of it. And they're, it's just teenage angst or it's just a phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also this component of pride where you're like, well, surely my son would not be living with those symptoms because I'm a good parent. So there's this like false equating of your ability to parent with your child's mental state that I think is sometimes associated and sometimes not. And it contributes to this overall stigma and self stigma that, you know, my parents were like, well, we don't want to look at it. And I was like, well, I don't want to look at it either. So we kind of just mutually buried our heads in the sand for as long as possible until it became so disruptive that I couldn't function on a daily basis, which is far too late to seek treatment. (laughs) No shit. Why wait until you can't survive to finally, I mean, it's kind of like driving on a flat tire and your tire light comes on and then it goes, and then it's sparking, and then half your car is on fire. And you're like, you know what? I need to pull over and maybe take a look at this. Exactly. Very well described. But the problem, of course, is on an, on a deep subconscious level, your parents also knew that they themselves, with all due respect, are fucked up. Um, so to actually then to address it in 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 an immediate family member is is getting too close to them because they have to know they have to address their own demons and that's a very scary place to be so i think there is a lot of fear of the unknown there too uh, because if they realize that they have to address a certain behavior they don't know damn well that they have modeled that behavior so therefore they have to address their own demons and that's yeah, I bet I bet you face similar things like, you know, when I tell people I, I don't drink, I don't go like, oh, not for me. I don't drink. I just go, oh, no, thanks. I'm good with water. And when people ask, like, you know, do you not drink? I just say, no, I don't. And they're like, good for you, man. That's awesome. Like, uh, wow. But uh, then also there's this little bit of saltiness, like, oh, uh, must think he's so great that he doesn't drink. And I think that's kind of where some of that tension might come from is like there are people who congratulate me on not drinking and then they're like oh but i wish you would just have a drink and loosen up and let loose because there's part there's something inside of them that might be like oh well i don't want to look too closely at how often i drink that's exactly it that's exactly and it's it. okay to look at that it's okay <laughs> that's the only way anybody gets sober anyhow is like taking a look at that that's exactly what I what I wrote in, in my steps of sobriety. We surround ourselves uh, with people who drink at least as much as we do or more. Yeah. So therefore, it's yeah. that 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 self selection there. So everyone drinks, and you make joke about drinking. Uh, funnily enough, if that is one of the, the telltales for me as a doctor, if someone jokes about about alcohol, then I know that they are an alcoholic because normal people don't joke about alcohol. 
you know, how do you call how do you call a meal without wine? Uh, breakfast, um, you know, those kind of things. You know, it is just uh, it, no, you don't. You, normal people don't say that, so that's a giveaway. Now, it is it is hard because it, uh, uh, the alcohol does so many positive things. At least in the right now, immediate reptilian mm. brain. Oh, that feels good. The pain is gone regardless of what the consequences are the, the alcohol comes down to the level of i need to breathe i need to drink i need to eat yeah. it's that kind of thing and you are lucky because you have never had that complicating factor and yeah i think for me addiction kind of manifested through ocd yeah, and i've okay. i've always maintained that addiction and ocd are actually fairly similar because mm. you have if you want to break down OCD into an obsession and a compulsion, yeah. Yeah. your obsession might be the thought. So for example, um, I, you know, a drink would really fix this. Mm. And then a compulsion would be actually purchasing that drink and drinking it. But in my life, it, the only things that change, the obsession is there and the compulsion is there, but the behavior was a little different. So the obsession might be, um, you know, if I avoid all the cracks on the sidewalk, when I'm walking down the sidewalk, then that will that will keep me safe, it will keep my feet from hurting, and it will make sure that the rest of the day goes well. And that's mm -hmm. the only way that that can happen. So then my compulsion is actually acting on behalf of that obsessive thought. And I had a million different things like that, where I would argue that it's not that much different mm -hmm. from addiction because if you do have a drink and it reinforces ah see i said a drink would help and then i'm drinking and now i do feel that relief for me it was like see i told myself if i didn't step on the cracks it would help and then mm. here i am later in the day and my feet don't hurt and i know it's because i didn't step on those cracks you know <laughs> interesting it's it's lovely how you 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 draw the parallel there my goodness um but to draw a parallel you need to have the insight um did you did you meet people or describe the people that you met who helped you to get these breakthroughs? And they don't just come out of the blue. They don't just materialize one day. They say, oh, oh I figured that out. Well, that's reinventing the wheel. No, no. Um, so were there people who really changed your life? Yeah, I think. Part of it was definitely education. Like, you know, I, I took college level psychology in high school, and then I went to, to university for psychology. I also wrote a year long research paper. It took all of my senior year of, of literally researching how drugs and alcohol affect the brain and similarities between that and mental illness. So a lot of it was like my yeah. pursuit of health education, but also, a ton of it was um, talking to friends who were not living with mental illness really helped me gain perspective on where my thought processes differed from theirs. Um, peer support, which means engaging with people who are living with similar diagnoses as you, that helped provide further context. And then, of course, mm. I would be remiss not to bring up literal treatment, like in therapy, meeting with a psychiatrist and a psychologist and a counselor and a social worker, mm. like all of these people that I met with helped me gain further insight into the way my brain was working and helped me realize how I wanted my brain to work. And I think that's something that we don't put a lot of critical thought to is like, mm. we, we have an okay understand. If we're lucky, we have an okay understanding of how our brain works now, but we have a very poor conception of how we'd like it to look Absolutely. in the future. Absolutely. But that is the, the, the crux to it all until we have been in a place which is so far outside of our comfort zone we don't stop to think we are just reacting to the environment and we expose ourselves to environments which very easily numb yourself just as much as a bottle of wine does that is the the netflix that is the the your candy crush mm -hmm. uh, that you play for hours or whatever um there are so many uh behaviors that makes it so easy for you to go just uh and when, <laughs> i mean honestly it's zombie it's a life oh, yeah. of zombies and regrettably uh, I certainly 
Nah, nah. Well, yes, I, I was falling into it, but for me, the more dominant things were actually a, a workaholic, being a workaholic and being an alcoholic. Um, so I was go, 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 go. And then when I was getting tired and I thought, oh, a nice bottle of wine will cure that. And indeed it does. Mm -hmm. It gives me a second wind. And suddenly at two o'clock in the morning, I'm out there cleaning the garage. And, you know, <laughs> and it's just, uh, guess what? You know, you're burning the candle on, on two ends and in the middle. Well, the, your body after a while says, you've got to be joking. And so it was boom, 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 crash. And it is just nuts, such behavior. And I lived yeah. that for, for the better part of, of 20 years. So crying out loud. I really uh, think that's that's how it manifested in my life most commonly is probably that workaholism. Because mm -hmm. if you look at my deepest, darkest bouts with my illness, they would be it would be alternating seasons of complete inactivity where I could not function, yeah. um, where it was really difficult to do laundry or to take a shower or to make a meal. It was like so difficult to get my body to do anything. And then alternatively, I would go through weeks of hyper productivity where I, I really used work mm. to, to numb myself to what I was going through. I thought if I just keep myself busy enough, mm. I won't have time to think about how I'm feeling and what I'm going through. And I even check myself on that now, like as a business owner, you can technically work 24, 7, 365, because no one's going to stop you. So it's dangerous. You have to check yourself and be like, am I being productive right now because I feel inspired or am I being productive because there's a desire in me to be busy so that I can avoid this deeper thing? Like, and Absolutely. I notice that I've, I still do that to this day and have to stop myself and check my motives. Absolutely. And to a certain degree, this can be very beneficial. Um, I became a very good doctor because I was a workaholic and mm. I was, I had PTSD symptoms that I disguised. So my situational awareness, this hypervigilance was always there, which made me a very good doctor, very good, especially in, in crisis management or in, in teaching in the emergency department. Um, so there are positive aspects. And it's the same what you described there, because when you're in, in your business and you go all flat out, nose to the grindstone, bang, 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 and actually create something really beautiful there, well, that's positive. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. The problem, of course, is then comes crippling times of of the opposite, whatever whatever has, has just occurred, the good things of it. And then that could be described as self-sabotage, really. Um, yeah. is, did you have these, these ups and downs? Did your businesses grow magically and then you were failing? I think it had less to do with, and this is how I know it was a problem. Um, it had less to do with what I was accomplishing and more to do with whether or not I was working. Hmm. You know, like nice. if I, if nice. I look at, um, if I look at my relationships, so I struggled with eating disorders quite a bit, um, around the high school and college age, not as much now, but I still, they still do pop up here and there. And I have to kind of, uh, whack a mole them back down and stay on top of them. But <laughs> I remember I was working out, um, six days a week three hours a day. And I was doing a tremendous amount of exercise. I was massive. Absolutely. I was just, I was uncomfortably wide. I was like very bulky and large. And for me, it didn't matter. Like I had um, trainers say, you're working out too much. Huh. You're actually getting in the way of your progress because you're not allowing your body to rest enough. And what I said to them is, I don't need my body to be healthier. I need to work out. So it was almost like I didn't care as much about the progress. I cared that I could use exercise as an escape. And so I think I've done that with work as well. Like I've fallen into patterns where even if I'm not being as productive in terms of output and working smart, there's some part of me that thinks, well, if I'm working hard, it doesn't matter what the outcome is because I must be, I must have my luck, my life in check. I must be a good person if I'm working really, really hard. Exactly. And it's just a trick. It's pulling a veil over my eyes and kicking the can down the road. It's exactly. masquerading as healthy productivity, but at the end of the day, it's, we all know it's not, including the person who's exhibiting the behavior.
<laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> and it's a beautiful escape, isn't it? So even if you don't mm-hmm. use drugs, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to use drugs to be an addict. Okay. You the, the addiction then- is, is a very, uh, it's a behavior and you choose just the poison uh, that, that, that is associated with that behavior. Oh goodness. Uh, it's an amazing Even still now. Like my, my therapist assigns me homework and oftentimes that homework will be like, um, watch a movie all the way through without pausing it. And I can't do that. I can't justify, like if I watch anything, it's gotta be, um, educational. So I'm technically learning and being productive. And if I do watch part of a movie, it has to be with a friend so that I'm building a relationship with that person. And it's productive outside of just watching something. And if I do try to watch a movie by myself, I swear to you, dude, it takes me a week because I'll watch 15, 20 minutes and I'll get up and vacuum and then I'll clean the kitchen and then I'll work on, I'll send out some emails. And so these challenges that my therapist sets up for me are like spend three hours not being productive or watch an entire movie without pausing it. So it's almost like the same type of escape for Mm -hmm. me, like productivity becomes such an escape that resisting the escape becomes a challenge. Like, no, I got to sit here and watch a movie. Mm. Like millions of people can watch a whole movie and have it be a non-issue. But for me, I can probably count on one hand the movies that I've watched in one sitting. It's so hard for me to do. But I work on it actively. Oh, you describe me to the T for crying out <laughs> loud. <laughs> oh, boy, we have got a lot of similarities there. <laughs> yes, I, it, I forever will do maybe invoices or whatever it is whilst I'm watching a film. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I hate it if you put a, a mirror in front of my face, <laughs> but here you are. <laughs> and it's good, but it's good. That's exactly why I cherish these interviews so much, because inevitably I recognize myself in some of my guests, and mm. it is it is a catalyst for me to ask the question, hmm, is there not just maybe a little bit more work to be done uh, <laughs> on my own journey here? And the, the cool thing is I nowadays... Uh, accept it with a smile and say okay now yeah right okay that's we need to do that now whilst in the past i would have been angry i would have been angry oh my god i must be perfect i must be perfect Mm -hmm. i must be oh i'm again going hyper why why am i hyper i should be serene oh no i'm going low oh no 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 i shouldn't be low i should be i should be coca-cola high and then all the girls will come to me it's just that crap (laughs) god so, so how do you do that? So we are both yearning for the highs. We are both going out there and we both, our thermostats are broken. So from now and then, oh, the temperature is way too cool. And from now and then it's way too hot. Um, yet we are striving for the way too hot. We want to feel good. We want to fit that image that is being portrayed in in the in the media out there that you've be young virile uh perfect body <laughs> rich uh and if you just drink that vodka you are just driving a ferrari and and yeah. you know the opposite sex is, is flogging to you my ass um the yet on a on a subconscious level that is what we are doing do you still find yourself in that trap do you find yourself comparing um, with with people that maybe you subconsciously think, wow, they are really, they have it all? Oh, yeah. I, I catch myself doing that, especially with people who I feel are um, more accomplished than me in building their startups. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 29 years old. There are, there are, 25 year olds who have raised like a hundred million dollars for their startup or whatever. And I'm like, well, geez, that must be nice. But I also think like, well, a few things, first of all, that startup is like a software management startup. Like you don't give a crap about software management. So like, what do you care? You would be miserable if you were doing some running some software management startup, no matter how much money you raised, because you don't like it. You're not passionate about it. And second of all, Let's not forget that 
everybody, this has brought me a lot of peace recently. Everybody starts out at a different starting line. I think for a long time, I thought everyone's born into the same circumstances with the same opportunities to them. And then I realized like I spent the first quarter century of my life with such debilitating illness that I couldn't at time at times form sentences. I couldn't at times leave my bedroom. I couldn't at times walk up or down stairs or touch my food or touch other people or open doors. Like, I mean, literally I was incapable of functioning. So whenever I catch myself thinking like, oh, I'm not as far as I think I should be. It's like, hey, remember like a hand not too long ago, Mm -hmm. still in this same decade, when it wasn't about whether or not you would clear this contract or that contract with your company or hire this employer or that employee or raise this amount or this amount, it was actually about whether or not you would choose to resist your suicidal temptations. So you've traded life-threatening day-to-day peril for now these trivial, you know, do we order these business cards from here or there? Do we work with this vendor or that vendor? It's like, bro, this is nothing compared to what you face. Like stop comparing to other people Beautiful. who are accomplishing things and start comparing. If you must compare, start comparing to a younger you who didn't have the health education uh-huh. or the ability to regulate your behavior and thoughts in such a way that allows you to be a productive member of society in the first place. Cause that was not always your story, my dude. Mm-hmm. That's a new development. The other, the other thing that brings me solace uh, is to read books about uh, those are written by those people that I admire. So for example, I was, I was uh, very much into martial arts and into, into sport after, after a gang assault. So like you training three, three hours a day, uh, every day uh, was my life for, for quite a few years. And um, with that, I had this kind of quite martial arts soldier, etc., cetera, uh, kind of, of thought pattern. I was the warrior. So therefore, I, I, I don't know how many hundreds, probably thousands of books I've read about, written by warriors, by US Navy SEALs, by uh, special forces, etc. And what always strikes me is, of course, their perseverance and their, their positive powers. But also, there is not one single book I've read that would not turn the same hero quotation mark into big failures. They're either emotionally retarded uh, or um, incapable of maintaining a relationship due to either their mental strain or due to the sheer fact that they're forever deployed to to funny places in the world. So it is actually, it gave me some relief to actually see, wow, there are all these people who, wow, they have got it. And in reality, well, actually, they're suffering just as much as you. And mm-hmm. I found that that actually good. And that put these, uh, removed these the pedestals from underneath these people and made them more relatable. And I found that now in my show, I sought out people who have exactly such people. And it's so beautiful to talk to them, honestly, and see their own struggles. So therefore, I come in around about way back to, to sort of what I was saying uh, about your, your peers and about maybe being jealous about other people out there, envious. Um, I think in reality, it's so beautiful to compare where you have come from, a younger you. That's a beautiful way of you, how you put it, Johnny, um, rather than going out there and thinking the grass is greener on the other side rest assured there's a lot of lot of shit on that lawn over there you just can't see it uh so i think no the grass is not greener okay there's there's actually a a cope notes text that i got recently that says i'm gonna read it now because it's literally about this i got this text uh last friday it says don't waste your life wishing for someone else's the grass always looks greener on the other side until you race over there and realize it's just AstroTurf. 
exactly <laughs> the astroturf the the artificial exactly and that's that's and that's the that's the problem with our social engineering that's the problem with the way that we are being betrayed by people who make shitloads of money uh because they want to sell us something so therefore it's it's really good to sometimes actually just unplug and step out of your your hamster wheel what do you do johnny when to actually ground yourself again it is you you have you've told us already many many things that you that many insights that you have had but what is your is your routine how do you jump out of the hamster wheel so one thing that i always turn to i recommend everybody does this i have i have two tools that i use regularly one is a calm down playlist and it is a collection of songs that is genre agnostic there's so many different um <laughs> so many different genres of music on this playlist but it's a playlist of songs that when you put them on they change my i get so wrapped up in the song that i'm pulled out of whatever I'm wrapped oh. up in and I have that on deck always. Like anytime I notice myself getting frustrated or um, disappointed or stressed out or anxious, I just turn to my calm down playlist. I press shuffle. And if I don't like the first song, skip to the next one, skip to the next one. And inside of three or four skips, I find like the perfect song. Cause I've curated the playlist uh -huh. and I listen to that playlist and I'm telling you, dude, and after three minutes of listening to one of those songs, oh. it completely regulates me. Oh. And I have it 24 seven, it's downloaded on my phone. So even if I'm on an airplane or whatever, I, I, my phone doesn't need data or Wi Fi in order yeah. to use it. And I carry headphones with me all the time, oh. so that I can put headphones in should I need it. That's like my emergency move and then i also have a calm down checklist or i actually call it my calm down menu in a note on my phone and it's all of these things that i've decided when i'm not stressed out or not under distress will help me when i am distressed so i don't ask a stressed brain what are you going to do to get out of it uh... i ask a calm brain what should your short list of coping mechanisms be? And then when I do get stressed out, I open up my calm down menu and I say, okay, what, you know, what am I able to do? And I'm like, oh, you know what? It's nice out. And I'm, I'm at my apartment complex right now. And there's a pool out there and it says swimming is one of the things I can do. So I'm going to leave my phone up here and get in the pool. That way I don't have to pull an idea out of nowhere. I pull it from my menu. Very nice which comes back to us actually asking ourselves what is really going on and actually doing the hard work and then taking action and coming up with solutions. And that is such a beautiful thing. And guess what, guys, out there when you're listening or watching this, your brain is designed to give you solutions. You just need to ask the right question. If you ask, why me? Why me? Oh, why does it always happen to me? Guess what? Your brain comes up with the with the answers. It comes up with 30 answers. Why you're such a piece of shit. And wow. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It your brain, your brain is amazing. That's now, good. what was to happen if you actually ask um a question that is maybe more productive? Who do I who do I want to be when I grow up? My love up is a cool question. Why do I want to be that person? Um, how do I become this person? And it is, if you start these questions, then suddenly little snippets, little explosions start happening. Um, and they might not, they might not happen every time, but for me, more often than not, they do happen. And that's a bit of a of a bit like going to the gym, isn't it? So you, you first go to the gym and even the smallest weight looks like, fuck, I can't lift that. And then, you know, I look now at my boys who are, who are 19, 21, and they're power lifters. And it just makes you sick for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, they go, they call it stack it. They go to all the machines, put it on the biggest stack and just do the exercises. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Bastards. Um, <laughs> and now I'm proud of them as hell. Um, so, but guess what? When they started, they were scrawny little 
little little kids who who couldn't mm-hmm. do a thing. Well, is it not the same with your brain? When you have never approached the topics of mental health, can you feel that you're in, uh, that you're overwhelmed by by even the slightest scratching on the surface? <laughs> My educated guess is yes, because I was. Um, I was pretending far too long that I'm a person I'm not. And I had too many masks in front of me where I even believed that these masks are real. Um, so a heap of bullshit. Did you have masks, Johnny? Oh, yeah. So my plan was if I iron my shirt and I use a Tide pen to get all the stains out and I shave my face, um, then people will leave me alone because I'll look put together and that way I'll I'll kind of have this appearance that's like, oh, that guy's probably healthy enough, right? He looks like he takes okay care of himself. So it's funny when you look at when I was technically physically in the best shape. So right now I'm not physically in the best shape of my life. I am mentally, emotionally. No, I'll say this. I'm mentally, emotionally, and physically in the best shape of my life. Appearance-wise, I looked healthier. (laughs) I looked way healthier 10 years ago. Because my focus was on appearing healthy, but now my focus is on actually being that way. So I think my mask was, um, if I can appear that I have my life together, then hopefully nobody will ask me how it's going. Exactly. And then I never have to answer the question. Even this morning, actually, I want to call myself out. This morning, I had a call with uh, one of my employees and she said, how are you doing? And I said, I don't know the answer to that question. It's so early. This is my first meeting of the day. You're asking me how I'm doing. I don't know. That's such a complex question. And even now I have a challenging time responding to that because there's this little, there's like this dual flame in me. So one one side says, I wish to God somebody cared about how I felt, like how I was doing, not not how my projects are doing, not how my company is doing, not how my band is doing, not how my career is doing. I wish to God somebody cared about Johnny Crowder, the person, the human being. But then there's another mask that's on that on the other side of that coin that says, well, hopefully nobody asks me so that I don't have to explain all of this complex stuff because I don't want to burden anybody with that, which is why I adore therapy. <laughs> But then again, as as you say, uh, or as we have said already, 95% of the population, I would say more, 98% of the population have no idea how they take leave alone, what to do with you when you suddenly open up about someone. It's like mm-hmm. like when you when you meet someone who is in recovery and it's it's like a uh, and it's like a brotherhood, sisterhood, because we know we can be honest. We have gone through yeah. shit, and it's a kind of uh, of really nice feeling because you have done similar work on yourself uh, in order to become a better human being. Uh, therefore, it makes it so much easier to actually communicate and be open and be honest. It's so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. But guess what, guys? You can actually train yourself and you can train your teams to do exactly that you can actually create a a working relationship in within the teams that you're in to uh to foster openness and to foster an awareness of mental health problems and that is so 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 beautiful uh certainly in in when i go to work and and um, the anesthetist in theater um meet and the surgeon they're sort of the top dogs and in theory um there is this all these these kind of weird perceptions that we are there and the nurses are there and then the orderlies are somewhere down there bullshit in 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 my theater we work all as teams and that's the way it should be and 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 increasingly nowadays the hierarchies are are changing so that's really really good yet when you actually truly practice extreme ownership and actually say hey guys today i am not my best because i've had some shit happening at home um if you if you if i talk to my anesthetic technician and say hey look I'm, i'm not my best today just keep an eye on me if that is okay they they say wow 
uh, and in turn, nurses have come to me and say, hey, look, you know, it is my my father-in-law is in the rest home and things are not smooth. I'm completely distracted. Just, you know, keep an eye out for me. And it's that kind of openness, that kind of transparency, that kind of, of accepting that mental health is part and parcel of every single day and of all of us. The moment we can actually model it in this way, we change the world. We change how people perceive us. And inevitably, they will perceive us as being stronger for us being weak at that moment. And when I say weak, I say I use a big quotation mark around that weak. So it is that is what I'm practicing. That is what I'm 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 open about. I've got this show here, but then then I wear the mask as a doctor. But guess what? I actually have got my business cards on on the table, and on the business card is my steps to sobriety and my show on there. So if someone sees that and wants to open up about their own thing, it is really good. And often my colleagues ask me, "Well, are you not afraid that they look down on you?" And no, I have yet to meet one person who looks down on me. Uh, because I am open about my past struggles. They are, they are part of me, but they don't define me. And that's so beautiful. So therefore, I did a bit of monologue here and I'm taking Johnny's time away and I'm, I'm acutely aware of that. But it's so important that I bring that out, guys. You are beautiful beings and you don't need to hide that. Okay? I want to see the real you, what's and all. Because it's beautiful. I might be part of you that are a bit more, mm, okay, work, work needed, <laughs> tender, loving care needed. <laughs> and that's cool. And that's the same with Johnny. That's the same with me. So uh, what did you think about what I was saying here? Yeah, just that, like, the people that we're pretending to be are not nearly as cool as the people we actually are. <laughs> so we oh, keep- very cool. Very we nice. Keep trying to like be these more polished versions of ourselves, but like, you know how popular documentaries are right now? Like documentaries, all all of like the top trending shows on Netflix and stuff, they're all documentaries, and all these people are telling stories from their actual lives. Mm. They're just regular old people who experience something interesting and then they share it with people. These are not like, you know, fictional heroes that are living through these manufactured experiences these are like regular people (laughs) like you and me and there are millions of people Uh, sitting on their couches around the world waiting for the next episode to come out so they can learn about these regular people who are hmm. far more interesting than any fictional character Hmm. and i just always think about that when i remember that i'm when i catch myself trying to be somebody like trying to be somebody. I'm like, the person I'm trying to be is not nearly as interesting as Johnny Crowder. Beautiful. Beautiful. Oh, and that's, that's our life. That's, but that is, that is, that is you having gone through years of therapy through years of doubt of, of massive self-criticism of putting yourself down and, I'm a bit sick and tired of that, those voices. They still come out. They come out every day. But I catch them early and sort of say, really? You say I'm a failure? Well, actually, no. Today, I actually got up. I actually, I'm here at work. I got up early, had a fantastic interview today. How can you say you're a failure? But you didn't achieve anything on those 20,000 things you put on your to-do list yesterday. I said, yeah, maybe I set myself up to fail because I put 20,000 things on my to-do list. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> my problem. <laughs> do you still have to-do lists or how do you work? Oh, yeah. I actually, so in my second TED Talk, the one that just came out a couple of months ago, mm. or maybe a month ago, it's like super recent. I just, one of my points is that sometimes we make our lives about completing to-do lists um, that will never be completed because we're always adding to them. And it does set us up for failure. It makes us feel like we're always falling short. We're always behind the curve. Exactly. And 
we for we kind of like we equate our value as people to like how many things we've accomplished. <laughs> and I think that's very silly because if you look at like, uh, you know, let's bring it back to the dog thing from earlier in the interview. I never once looked at my dog and thought, well, you're not, you're certainly not a very accomplished dog. <laughs> like you, you certainly have not like, I have never seen you on a Forbes list. Um, you contribute nothing financially to the household in terms of rent or grocery bills or anything like I look at that dog and I love that dog because she exists. I love her because she's here. I love her because I love her. It's not any deeper than that. I don't have a big list of reasons that justify why I love my dog. I love her because I love her. And I love her more than anybody else's dog. And nobody loves her as much as me. And I have no way of justifying that love. It is not founded in objective truth. It is completely subjective. And I try to aim that towards as many things as possible. Like, how can I love myself without needing a long laundry list of reasons to articulate why I deserve that love? <laughs> how beautiful is that inside? Bloody hell. <laughs> Bloody hell. So if... I mean, you have come a long, long, long way. And it's beautiful to to listen to you and to see, uh, to learn from your lessons that you've learned often the hard way. Who who do you want to be when, let's say, in a year's time, in five years' time? Who is the new Johnny Crowder that you aspire to be? Maybe the new and improved version. I'm actually trying to be, for the first time ever, like, so on my 29th birthday, I felt kind of a shift where I was like, you know, for a long time, I was, um, you know, the kid with mental illness. Huh. I just like was the kid that was struggling with really serious illness. And then I was the kid who was um, the, doing improv comedy. And then I was uh, the guy from Dark Sermon, who was my first band. Then I was the guy from Prison, my second band. Then I was the guy from Cope Notes. And I was like, I just want to be the guy. I just want to be Johnny Crowder. I like want to find out who this Johnny Crowder guy is. Like, uh, what is he like? What's he into? What's he interested in? Oh, nice. Um, like, so right now, you know, my desire, I turned 30 in, in a few months. And I think like what I want on my 30th birthday is to know myself better than I knew myself at 29 and at 35, I'd like to know more about myself than I know at 30. Like, mm. I'm not really trying to build a person. I'm trying to meet a person. Beautiful. You know? Beautiful. That, having said that, having said that, when I came out of rehab, I was an empty shell. And mm. that is, uh, it sounds a bit broken. Therefore, I'm, I'm trying to rephrase that. I was an empty canvas. And I was initially scared of that canvas, but then I started painting it. And the first few draws were, well, okay, failures. <laughs> no, not failures, wrong. I figured out who I wasn't. Okay, I thought I wanted to be yeah. really artistic and wanted to learn to weld and make make art. Turns out I, I'm crap in that. So no, but no, that's not me. Uh, and then I thought, oh, I love to cook. Okay, so I, you know, I did, did uh, learn more how to cook, how to bake a mean cheesecake. And then I wrote a book about writing cheesecake or doing cheesecakes. And that was cool. Uh, and so I got into the photography, the book, and suddenly I found, okay, that's far more me. Yeah, cheesecakes are good. And I love to cook, but I don't really, that's, that's not really me. That's part of yeah. me, okay, fair call. But the author, the, the dreamer, the, the person who envisages a new project and then brings that to fruition, that is actually cool. That is what makes me tick. And that was a revolution, a revelation, but it also became a revolution because I took action then. And I took courses how to do things. And suddenly I got better in it. So whilst you're saying who I really am, I would say, what is the spark that is or the, 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 the plant that is still waiting to just underneath the surface to come out? And then 
nurture that and put water on it and and maybe do a course in in that because it will be something that probably you're against at the starting point so rather than who am i i i i rather am tempted for me to say who do i want to be and why do i want to be that person and then do something about it take action and explore that new me and so yeah i mean that is you you're talking about the cope notes i the there are certain key beliefs core beliefs that i need to address and so i'm i'm strong about thinking about why do you have those behaviors for me one of my core beliefs is oh, you will never look good because you're always a big man um i was always a, a, a pochy child apart from those four or five years where i've trained like mad um mm -hmm. and so therefore there's this belief oh you will never look good um there's the belief you always will be a failure regardless what i achieve doesn't matter what i do you will always be a failure these are core beliefs and for me the key is to work on them so this year i've changed my core belief of oh, well you're always a fat bastard two words there's nothing that can get in my way for me to get into shape full stop and that's an affirmation and that affirmation i drive home and home and home and guess what because i'm driving it home i take action and yeah. and that's the beautiful thing taking action thinking who do you want to be when you grow up and it doesn't matter if you're 17 or 70 so therefore that's so cool for you to to say to have that ooh i want to be a better man so uh, how do you go about it what is your what is your your way forward I'm just trying to remove. So I think it was Michelangelo who did the David statue. Mm -hmm. um, and they asked him like, you know, how the heck did you do that out of a big chunk of stone? Yeah. He was like, I was just removing everything that wasn't David. Yeah. So I wasn't making David. I wasn't adding anything to the stone. I was just nice. taking away the things that were not David. So that's kind of my approach moving nice. forward is like, I don't want to add things that I think Johnny Crowder is. I want to remove things that I know Johnny Crowder isn't kind of like you said, when you tried, um, nice. your, your experimentation was perfect. You're like, well, I'm going to try, uh, you know, did you say welding? Yes, I did. I did actually. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, I'm going to try welding and see if that's it. And then through experimentation, you go, mm, maybe that's not it. Yeah. So for right now, I'll remove it and then I'll try something else. And mm. Over time, you find the things that don't resonate. And I think for a long time, I've I've pursued things that I thought I was supposed to pursue. So for example, if you would ask me when I was a kid, who do you want to be? I'd say, well, of course, I want to be a wonderful football player. Uh, but really, I only wanted that because my parents encouraged my older brother when he was playing sports. So I figured I probably need to do this in order to earn the love of my parents. So it actually wasn't what I wanted, even though I would have told you that it was what I wanted. Yeah. I was like, almost, I tricked myself into thinking that I wanted it. And even still, as I get older, I think like, you know, I check in with myself, like, do I actually want this thing? Or have I accidentally conditioned myself to want the thing because it's a means to achieving another end, which is what I truly want. So in the sports example, it's like what I, what I really want is for my parents to love me. Yeah. But what I think I want is to be an accomplished sports player. Ah, beautiful, beautiful. Touche, touche. And that's the why. That was the why question I was asking. Mm -hmm. Why do you want to do that? Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Johnny, you're an amazing man. I mean, it is, um, I'm honored uh, that you spend an hour of your time with me and my audience, because it is, there's so many things there that you opened my eyes. And hopefully you've planted a lot of seeds into some people out there who will now germinate and, and, and maybe, maybe make these people change their ways, which in turn, hopefully changes this world a little bit. And wow, would that not be nice that that we make this world a bit a little bit better? It certainly needs it right now. So, man, 
uh, Johnny, I mean, if there are people who want to know more about you and and find out or maybe even work closer with you, um, where should they go? Where can they find you? Yeah, if you go to copenotes.com, you can learn about all of our work. And basically, we, we provide daily mental health support via text message mm -hmm. um, for people all over the world. So if that's where you want to go to learn about our work, you can go to copenotes.com. If you want to learn about me as a human being and as a like speaker, you can go to johnnycrowder.com. It's just my first and last name. And then if you really want to understand me, you can search Johnny Crowder on YouTube. And I have two TED Talks that explain a lot more about my life mm. um, in a lot less time than I could now <laughs> if you gave me the opportunity. So, um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram yeah. at Johnny Crowder Loves You. I'm on Facebook. And um, I try to make myself available to connect with strangers because you and I didn't know each other super well before this. And this has been such a, an enlightening conversation and I get to experience this all the time. So mm. if you're listening to this and you like want to connect or learn more, or you have a question or anything like mm. that, please hit me up and I'll do my very best to get back to you. Cause these mm. conversations teach me about myself. Mm. How cool is that? Exactly. Same here. Oh, Johnny, thank you so much. And guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast. All this information that we mentioned here is in there. And, and what have you got to lose? Hey, make, make this world your world. Stop being a victim. And you're doing that already. You have already become, you moved away from victim to survivor by actually listening to this show. You took action to actually figure something out. And that is the biggest step. We both, both John and me have been paralyzed by our emotions and by our own behaviors, by our, by the madness that was happening inside our skull. Um, and you have already gone beyond that. You have taken action. So cool. Didn't hurt, did it? Probably not. Um, so, uh, hey, what was to happen if you now take more action? Maybe just when you switch off here, have a glass of water, rehydrate and think, hmm, that's quite nice. So you're now starting to look after your body. That's right. You saw, you saw us here so nipping away, drinking away. And that's, that's all cool, you know. So you've done something. Then maybe eat something healthy. That's three things, three cool things you have done. Talk about, you know, looking after yourself. Hey, man. When I say man, hey, hey, you guys, beautiful humans out there come along on the journey johnny and i have uh, a bit of a head start compared to some of you out there but so who cares who cares come along it's a fantastic ride johnny thank you so much for coming onto my show you're an amazing man i'm honored to have you i'm very humbled uh, by today's interview because yeah you you put a, a the mirror in front of my face and for that i'm grateful so thank you so much for coming thank you for having me man i want to be thinking about this conversation for a while <laughs> and you guys out there look after yourself live with passion hey eh? bye Dream.